Welcome to the Private School Leader Podcast, where private school leaders learn how to thrive and not just survive as they serve and lead their schools. I strongly believe that it is possible to have a long and happy and fulfilling career as a private school leader, and my passion is to help you figure out exactly how to do that, right here on the Private School Leader Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Minkus. 5% is a pretty small number. If you lived in a place where it was cloudy only 5% of the year, that sounds pretty good, right? 95% of the day's sunshine. What if I told you that your favorite team would only lose 5% of their games every year? You'd sign up for that, I'm sure. 5% is a pretty small number, but 5% can also feel like a big number. So what if I told you that you were going to get into a fender bender on 5% of the days that you left your house during a given year? Well, that's about 15 times per year. No one wants to get into one fender bender a year, much less 15. What if I told you that 5% of the meals that you eat in a year were going to give you food poisoning and you were going to be really sick? 5% can feel like a big number. Well, 5% is a small number, and that's true most of the time, but it sure doesn't feel that way when we think about the 5% of parents that are trying to destroy our school community. And most research on private schools shows that 95% of our parents are pretty workable or pretty good or even fantastic, but that 5% takes a disproportionate amount of your time and emotional energy. That 5% of parents takes a disproportionate amount of your teacher's time and emotional energy. These are the parents that everyone talks about, but everyone tries to avoid. These are the parents that just the mere mention of their name causes your heart to speed up and your blood pressure to rise. Well, on today's episode of the Private School Leader Podcast, we are going to talk about how to handle the 5% of parents that are trying to destroy your school. But before we jump into that, I want to give you a gift to say thank you for listening to this podcast. I've created a free guide for you called Five Strategies to Help You Work with Difficult Parents. And we know that working with parents is part of the job, and most of our parents are great, but some of them can be very demanding and emotional and difficult. Well, this guide will help give you the tools that you need to build better relationships and have better meetings with the difficult parents at your school. So go to theprivateschoolleader.com slash parents to grab that guide. And thank you again for listening every week to this podcast. And remember, you can grab that five strategies to help you work with difficult parents over at theprivateschoolleader.com slash parents. Okay, before we get started, I want to tell you about an outstanding book that I actually have used part of chapter five and most of chapter 10 for today's episode. It's an easy read. It's only about 120 pages long. The book is called Hopes and Fears, Working with Today's Independent School Parents, and it's written by Dr. Robert Evans and Dr. Michael Thompson. And I will link that in the show notes. I'll be mentioning that book many times during this podcast, Hopes and Fears by Robert Evans and Michael Thomas. 
And not only is it a book worth owning, it's a book worth rereading about once a year because it literally talks only about how to work with the parents in our private schools. And most of the book talks about the 95% of parents and building relationships with them and understanding where they're coming from and things of that nature. But as I said, part of chapter five and most of chapter 10 talks about what Thompson and Evans describe as the five percenters. And so we are going to talk today about this book. We are going to talk specifically about how Thompson and Evans describe what they call the five percenters. They describe the free, the, excuse me, the three categories of five percenters. And then we're going to discuss the strategies that are most effective in dealing with them. So let's get into it. The 95 percenters are workable. They are, quote, good people who send good students and who want to be positive participants in the school community, end quote. But the five percenters are very, 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 very different. And it doesn't matter how long you've been a private school leader. I'm sure that you've dealt with someone that falls into that 5%. And I've been a private school leader now for 31 years, and 31 years is a pretty large sample size. And I would have to say that Dr. Thompson and Dr. Evans have kind of nailed it with their numbers, because as I think back over the last three decades, I would have to say that my numbers probably fall right along that line of 95% and 5%. And I've had literally thousands of parents that were in the 95%. And Most of them were basically fine. Some of them were tough but workable. Some of them were amazing. Some I had to really work with to reason with them and get them on the same page. But if I close my eyes and I think about parents in my career, the parents that I see are in the 5%. And I already said that they take a disproportionate amount of our time and our emotional energy. And I have dozens of stories from my career that would make probably the hair on the back of your neck stand straight up. And I'm not going to tell those. I try not to think about them, all the stress and all the yelling. I will share just one. It was 2007. And these were parents of a fifth grade boy. And these parents, especially the dad, interacted a lot with the dad. He said that his son was being bullied at school by classmates. And my teachers were watching for it. We increased our supervision. They knew that if they saw the slightest thing to intervene and then to let me know right away. But what the teachers saw when they were watching closely is is that this fifth grade boy was actually provoking the other kids. And then when they would react, then he would disproportionately react. And so, for example... One time I remember they were running laps in the gym at the beginning of gym class and he stopped suddenly so that the kid behind him would obviously bump into him and then he fell down and made a big production about it and then the parents were in my office the next morning and the parents of this fifth grade boy back in 2007, when he would come home, They would literally ask him, well, who was mean to you today? Or who did something to you today? And you can kind of see where this is going because when parents are asking that question, um, it's not headed 
anywhere productive. Um, the dad in particular, a lot of yelling, a lot of loud, a lot of, lot of high volume. And to make things worse, the mom of this boy uh, worked at the school. She was a teacher's aide, and I supervised her. So one morning, during morning announcements, um, I did the morning announcements at my first school, and um, we would do the announcements, and then I would lead the school in the Pledge of Allegiance. And I'm saying the Pledge of Allegiance, and where my office was situated, I had windows that opened out to the front entrance to the school, and I saw him walking, more like marching, half jogging up to the front door of the school and just got a glimpse of his body language and his facial expression. And halfway through the Pledge of Allegiance, I forgot the Pledge of Allegiance. And I just stopped and it was embarrassing. And literally since that day, I have the Pledge of Allegiance printed out so that I can just read it if anything happens where I just, you know, have a brain cramp. But he walked in and right after morning announcements, there was a confrontation. He was screaming. I had to ask him to leave. He threatened me physically. I said if he didn't leave, I would call the police. And it ended, unfortunately, with later that day them withdrawing their son from the school. And so back to the five percenters. You know, I, I hope that that one story um, just wasn't triggering for you, but I guess I need to give a, a trigger warning because here's how Dr. Thompson and Dr. Evans describe the five percenters. Quote, I'm going to just quote right from, the, from their book. Uh, five percenters can't be reasoned with, can't be soothed, abrasive, unhappy, aggressive, mistrustful relationship that can last for years, virtually no capacity for self-reflection, Sometimes there is relentless criticism. Sometimes it's situational where there will be a flare-up, a resolution, a flare-up, a resolution. Widely discussed, avoided, and widely feared by your teachers, end quote. So that kind of describes the five percenters in general. But Robert Evans and Michael Thompson in their book, Hopes and Fears, they list some of the possible causes of the behavior of the five percenters. And I just want to take a moment and talk about that. The first one is mental health issues. One quarter of all adults in America suffer from a diagnosed mental disorder in any given year. And anxiety and depression are most common and most people are high functioning. I'm sure that a lot of people listening to this podcast are high functioning adults who have some kind of mental health issue. However, about 5% of Americans have much more serious mental illness. And while the Venn diagram does not overlap perfectly, the statistics would say that in any organization that there's a small subset of people that have serious mental health issues. So one explanation for the five percenters can be mental health. Another could be just inability to um, manage anger, anger management issues. And we know probably people in our lives who have anger management issues. Sometimes it could be caused by childhood trauma. Again, statistics, approximately 10% of U.S. adults have experienced some sort of childhood abuse. Now that percentage is probably lower among private school parents, but it's not zero. And many have worked, most have worked through that trauma and are highly functioning adults, but some have not. 
and they have a very, very difficult time trusting authority figures, including teachers and coaches and school leaders. So if you think about a really bad experience with a teacher, maybe that you had as a child, or if, if, these, um, if these, stu- these parents who once were students had a really bad experience with a teacher, then there's just a lot of mistrust um, tied up in that. And some other potential causes, according to Evans and Thompson, extreme narcissism, extreme paranoia, locked in a nasty custody battle, um, or truly entitled and upper class, elite, wealthy, and rules don't apply to uh, that person. And so could be any of the above. It could be none of the the above. But um, if you happen to pick up that book, from Evans and Thompson, Hopes and Fears, you'll see in their bio that each of them have worked with hundreds of schools. And again, they're drawing on their experience. So um, the the link for that book, again, um, you can get it in the show notes, the privateschoolleader.com slash episode 26. I want to give proper credit uh, to um, some of the content for today's episode. And I'll mention that again. All right. So They've listed some of the reasons why the five percenters might act the way that they do, but then um, Dr. Thompson and Dr. Evans put the three types of five percenters, the types of five percenters into three categories. Number one, the anxious and incompetent. Number two, the unresponsive. And number three, the intimidators. So what we're going to do with the rest of the episode is I'm just going to take a few minutes to describe each of the categories, and I'm sure that there may be some parents that immediately come to mind. But then once I've described them, then I'm going to go back to each category and talk about how to try to effectively deal with those parents. So first is the anxious and incompetent. And these are parents that are controlled by a pervasive anxiety that they can't control. And they have a chronic need for reassurance and support. So contrast this with your teachers that are caregivers and helpers and highly empathic and high in emotional intelligence. And what uh, Dr. Thompson and Dr. Evans say is, quote, these types of parents don't put teachers off. They pull them in at least at first, end quote. So I want to break that down for a moment. So sometimes the five percenters are easy to identify. I mentioned one of these categories is called the intimidators. But sometimes they're harder to identify because most of our teachers, they got into teaching because they're caregivers and helpers and highly empathic and high in emotional intelligence. And then sometimes these parents come along as very anxious and incompetent. And at first, the teacher really perceives that they're being super helpful and kind, and they are, but that kind of pulls them in to this this problem, and I'll elaborate. So teachers become then entangled in a web of constant emails and texts and phone calls and meetings. And like I said, it started out reasonably enough, but the teacher also sees this anxiety and this incompetence and they want to go above and beyond because why they want to help the child that's why our teachers got into education in the first place they want to help the child and they see this child they're suffering in some way and they want to help but this almost always backfires because these parents also often present as helpless to get the teacher to parent for them 
So I want to ask you, pause and kind of ask you a question. Have you ever heard of this from one of your teachers or experienced this yourself? And that is a parent asking the teacher to act like a parent. So it could be about device usage. Um, you know, can you talk to my child? Uh, they're on their device too much at home. Um, can you teach them about being kind to others because they're not very kind at home? Um, even I've had it where the parent wants the teacher to talk to the child about how you should really listen to your mom. You should really listen to your dad. So sometimes the parent will even ask the school to get involved if their child is not invited to a birthday party or a play date. And they want the school to navigate that for them because their child is sad that they didn't get invited and they want us to do that parenting. Um, I once had a very anxious parent that would CC everyone on an email about her son. And I mean everyone. Like this would be if let's just say there was an issue in language arts she would cc every teacher in the division the head of school me all the specialists i once counted 22 people cc'd on an email and so that's the anxiety there um, and just kind of wanting everybody to know and just the inability to kind of control that and and so just casting a wide net that maybe someone will help so that's the anxious and incompetent. And again, I will admit that these are painting them with a broad brush. Um, but for the purposes of this podcast episode to try to get down into how do we deal with these parents, um, sometimes we have to paint with a broad brush, give some descriptions. But then, like I said, I'll also give you some strategies on how to try to effectively work with these parents. So first we had incompetent and un and um, unres um, excuse me, in anxious and incompetent. And then number two is the unresponsive. So these parents, the unresponsive, are the parents who deny any and all concerns that are reported by the school. And they refuse to get their child the help that they need. And so I think that some parents are probably immediately coming to mind for you. Um, sometimes the parents are just completely disengaged. Sometimes they're workaholics. Sometimes they travel a lot for work. Sometimes they just are extremely what we would maybe perceive as just lazy. So regardless of the reasons behind it, they just are completely unresponsive about things that the school sees that we want them to do. And some of them might be frightened by parenting. They might know that they maybe aren't very good at it or feel like they're not very good at it and they're ashamed to admit it. Um, some of them have shame about getting outside testing done because somehow a diagnosis would reflect negatively on them as parents. And so these are the situations where the school recommends testing by a learning specialist at your school or perhaps a certified school psychologist, um, but they refuse. Or the family, I've dealt with this a few times, they actually get testing done outside of school and then they refuse to share the results. So again, unresponsive. And I just want to keep pausing um, to, again, give credit where credit is due that this uh, chapter five, part of chapter five and most of chapter 10 from the book called Hopes and Fears, Working with Today's Independent School Parents, written by Dr. Robert Evans and Dr. Michael Thompson, is where some of the content 
for today's episode comes from. And that book is linked in the show notes at theprivateschoolleader.com slash episode 26. All right. So we're talking about, um, we're talking about the unresponsive parents and how they get testing outside of school and then refuse to share the results. So just to jump back in and wrap up unresponsive, some parents, as I said, they can't deal with the fact that something might quote unquote be wrong with my child and they just won't hear it. They can't hear it. They don't want to hear it. And, um, it's a reflection on them somehow. And they often know how to do just enough to get the school to back off. And I'll insert my commentary here. This isn't from the book, but in my experience, I really feel like sometimes these parents are very savvy and it's like dealing with a persistent bill collector. And what I mean by that is, is that if you, let's say a person owes money on a bill and they give just enough money to get the bill collector off their back, or they say the check's in the mail. I know that's kind of an old fashioned saying, but um, they'll do lots of little things to just kind of kick the can down the road further with the bill collector. And the, the, unresponsive parent I've found in my experience, they're very savvy and they do just enough. They know that sweet spot of doing just enough to get the school to back off a little bit. Um, so let's say, uh, so I wanted to give one example before we jump into the third category. And one time I had a child with um, oppositional behavior. I don't know that he was ever diagnosed with that, but the behavior we saw at school was very oppositional. And we as a school required that the child see a counselor. And so they agreed and he started seeing a counselor and the family told us that and gave us a name and so forth. And then when we pushed to talk to the person, we actually found out that it was a 19 year old camp counselor um, and not a licensed mental health professional. Um, and then the last thing I'll add is, is that in my experience, I've found unresponsive to be especially true when parents are going through a nasty divorce because they play the blame game. Um, if their signatures needed for the testing, things of that nature, then it's like, well, you know, she didn't sign it or he didn't sign it, that kind of thing. And so those kind of all go together in that category of unresponsive. So according to Evans and Thompson, we have the anxious and incompetent, the unresponsive, and then the third category is the intimidators. And intimidators are the most difficult parents to deal with because they're bullies and they're condescending and they make demands and they yell oftentimes. And like many of you, I've had parents that have over my 30-year career that they've demanded that I change a grade or take away a detention or fire a teacher or fire a coach. And they tell, they are never told. Um, intimidators often treat teachers like servants. I've had more than one teacher over the years tell me that that parent makes me feel like I'm the help or that I'm uh, a part of the wait staff. Sometimes this comes from wealth and power and entitlement. Um, there are usually verbal attacks. It's extremely rare for it to be physical, but it is very common for the attacks to be verbal. And often they're personal. And they don't just say that the teacher is incompetent. They like to use inflammatory words like malpractice or negligence. Um, you don't care about my child. You have a vendetta against my child. Um, they are quick to say, well, I'm going to talk to my attorney and um, things of that nature. So almost all teachers, just in general, 
are conflict avoidant and prefer dealing with children and child-related conflicts rather than dealing with adults or adult-related conflicts. That's why they've gotten into teaching is because they enjoy working with children. Um, and over the years, I've watched some of my most veteran teachers expertly and elegantly handle maybe one of the toughest students in the school, and then they melt into a hot mess when they have to call a particular parent. And so teachers try to use logic like the grade book or describing specific behaviors that they've observed or the discipline policy. And logic doesn't work with intimidators. And one of the most interesting things I think that Dr. Thompson and Dr. Evans said is that intimidators are quote unquote externalizers. And I just want to read another quote. Externalizers see every problem that they encounter as caused by someone else's incompetence, end quote. So think about intimidators that you've dealt with. And then let me read that quote again. Externalizers see every problem that they encounter as caused by someone else's incompetence. All right. So now we've described them, but before we talk about how to effectively deal with the 5%, I just want to pause for a moment and I just want to acknowledge that that was, this has been a little triggering for me preparing for this episode and it may be triggering for you and you may be thinking of names and seeing faces and remembering a lot of awful meanings and it's important to acknowledge those feelings and to remember that these things did happen and they are part of who you are as a school leader and they were awful they were they were bad but you learned from them and they made you a better leader and they made you a stronger leader and it was painful but perhaps what we're about to discuss will make future encounters more productive and less painful and make you feel better prepared and more confident. So I think it's important to acknowledge the feelings that might be coming up for you but also emphasize that these strategies might be able to make things better in the future. So let's talk about this. How do we deal with the five percenters? One last thing. Let me give you a pep talk. <laughs> I know I need a pep talk right now. So um, dealing with the five percenters is very difficult. And honestly, it's like the least favorite part of my job. But I will just say this, that avoidance makes things worse. And I want to say that I did that for probably the first nine or 10 years of my career and just pretended it will get better, but it won't get better. And it doesn't get better. It just gets worse because it festers. And so when we do hard things, we need a really strong motivation, a strong why. And our strong why is the emotional safety of my students and my teachers. The emotional safety of my students and my teachers is my strong why of dealing with the five percenters and what's best for my students, what is right for my teachers. And I believe strongly that being an independent school leader is a sacred responsibility because we've been entrusted with the emotional safety of a lot of people. Everyone in that building, teachers, staff, um, students, they are our responsibility. And so they deserve to get what they need from you and your school, even if the parents disagree. And it's reasonable for your teachers to expect that you will have their back with the five percenters. And if they've done what they're supposed to do, and if they've hit a brick wall, and if they're being verbally abused, you need to step up and have the backs of your teachers. I think it was Brene Brown that said, when you don't have the confidence, reach for the courage. And I've had to do that 
almost every time that I've met with a parent of this type. Um, even with my years of experience and having dealt with parents like this before, every single time is difficult. And most of the time I've had to reach for the courage because I didn't have enough confidence. So that's the pep talk. All right, now we're going to talk about how to effectively deal with the five percenters. So bef- there's two overarching challenges with the five percenters, and, and two of them are boundary breaking and they can't be reasoned with. So boundary breaking, the persistent asking and telling to make significant exceptions to school policies. They just want to break the boundaries. And number two, you can't reason with them with logic. And so those are two things that are kind of common with all the categories. And so there are um, basically a few things that we want to try to, that are themes among all three of these is, is that we want to set limits. Um, we want it to be that it's when it gets to this point, that it's the administrator, not the teacher. Um, we want that we know that teachers prefer to work with children. Um, and they're dealing with 95% of the parents and dealing with them well for the most part. And so again, I know that I've done this myself too. I'm ashamed, ashamed to admit it, but just try to let the teacher handle it, let the teacher handle it. But you know, and I know that when it gets into this 5% group and these people that I've described, these parents that I've described, that that is when you as an administrator need to step up. And then the nature of these meetings, they are short. Sometimes they're blunt. Um, It's clearly stated. The reason that they're short is because the purpose of this meeting is not to give audience to this parent to, to take 45 minutes to tell you all the stuff that you already know and to rant and rave. Um, the purpose of this meeting, shorter meeting, blunt, clearly stated that here's what's going to happen. And you're never disrespectful, but it is not warm. Um, you're not inviting the parents to elaborate. Your, your tone is very flat. It's kind of matter of fact, but it's also serious. So those are just some things, again, from Evans and Thompson about kind of the theme of these meetings that we're about to talk about in dealing with each of these three different types of parents. Okay, so then into talking about the anxious and incompetent. And so the bottom line here is that a kind but firm no is really what we're after. And one of the things that we can coach our teachers to say, and if they don't want to say it, then we will say it, is, quote, these are things that a parent should be doing, end quote. Um, You could say things like, well, you've contacted us over 50 times so far this semester. So name the behavior. Um, Say things like you are making unreasonable and unsustainable requests. Um, You are describing problems that we don't see. Let's talk about that. I found that one to be a good one when I'm dealing with an anxious and and or incompetent parent that is just bombarding us with emails and describing all kinds of problems that we just don't see at the school. So again, you are describing problems that we don't see. Let's talk about that. And in my experience, um, some things that I have done that have been effective is I'll say for the next month, you can email only me. Um, Sometimes I have teachers, parents that are emailing teachers several times a day. And like most schools, we have a 24-hour response policy. And they'll email at 10 a.m. and then again at, at 12 30 p.m. Why haven't you gotten back to me? And the teachers are teaching. And so that's when I had to step in and just 
say, okay, for the next month, you're going to email only me. And then um, sometimes I've tried to help a parent <clears throat> develop a growth mindset about their child and for themselves, because part of this is wrapped up in a fixed mindset. Part of the anxiety is wrapped up in that. And there's a whole episode of the podcast. I think it might be episode four um, about growth mindset. But sometimes we as educators and leaders need to educate and lead the parent in a direction as well. And then kind of the final message and the overarching message with the anxious and incompetent is, is that we are not going to do things that a parent should do. And we are not going to let you continue to make unreasonable and unsustainable requests. Okay. So let's go on to the second category, the unresponsive. So the problem with these parents is not getting them to stop doing a certain behavior. We're trying to get them to start doing something. And so you as the administrator need to meet with the parents and name the problem. So for example, quote, this is something you could say, you are not responding to our concerns. You are not doing the things that we're asking you to do. Why? And they have to answer that question. So they might stumble and bumble through and be like, well, of course we're responding. And they're pointing out all of the little things that they've done to kind of kick the can down the road and do just enough to get the school to back off. But there are going to be some specific things that you've asked them to do that they haven't done to get that assessment, to um, sign the paper, to do the thing, whatever it is, <clears throat> things that they haven't done. And you're going to say something along the lines of, you are not responding to our concerns. You're not doing the things that we're asking you to do. Why? Um, and then things along the lines of, do you not believe us? Do you think that we don't know what we are doing? And usually the unresponsive parent is going to back off in that setting because they do believe you and they do think that the school knows what they're doing. But we're trying to get past the fear of finding out the answers Usually with unresponsive, it comes to something that we want them to do to find out more answers about their child, and we have to help get them past the fear of doing that. And honestly, in my experience, some things that I've done is to just give a family an ultimatum. And honestly, most of the time they will follow through, and every once in a while they'll pull their child but again, if you're prioritizing the child and you and the people at your school that are really smart and are paid to do this have decided this child needs an assessment, this child needs to be in this special class or whatever the case might be, and then you're going to let the parent decide, well, no, that's not what I'm going to do. Well, then you can decide that you're not meeting the needs of that child. And if you're prioritizing the child, then... That's something that you have to keep in mind. So I'm a big believer that attending our private schools is a privilege and not a right. And I think that many parents believe that it is a right to attend your school. And it's not. It's a privilege. And privilege and responsibility are two sides of the same coin. And you know how this works in life. If you fulfill the responsibility, you get to keep the privilege. So if I'm driving my car like a reckless person, it's a privilege to get to drive a car and have a driver's license in my state. But if I'm driving recklessly and getting into accidents and speeding and doing all kinds of crazy things, eventually I'm going to lose the privilege. I'm going to lose my license because I could not fill, fulfill the responsibility. 
So if you fulfill the responsibility, you get to keep the privilege. Why should it be any different at our school? So some things that I've done in the past is you must show us that you have scheduled a meeting with a therapist by date X or your child will not be able to attend school or will not be able to attend school next year, for example. Another thing I've done is you must show us that you have scheduled a psych evaluation by date X or your child can't come back after spring break or next year. Um, and then you need to help them connect them with the resources and help get them on the list and with the therapist and for the psyche vow and maybe call in a favor with someone and move them up the list a little bit. But ultimately, um, you can't necessarily say, okay, until this evaluation happens, we're going to exclude them from classes. But you can certainly exclude them from classes until they can show proof that an appointment is scheduled. So I want to make that distinction. All right, so that is our, those are some suggestions on how to deal with the unresponsive. And then finally, how do we deal with the intimidators? And this one, again, it's, they're the, by far the most difficult to work with because they've got two problems. Well, the first problem is that they're having, that they have an unreasonable request. And the second is the approach that they're taking, which is yelling and screaming. So we have the issue and we have the approach. Two problems with the intimidators. And I want to just acknowledge my bias here. And my bias is, is that I take a really, really strong um, stance with bullies. Um, so I usually refer to them as parent bullies um, because for my first 15 years, I just let the parent bullies uh, run all over me. You need to make sure that your teachers know to hand this parent off to you immediately if they're being verbally abusive um, you know, change the grade, take away the detention. And you need to coach your teachers as to how to handle this situation. And this is something very specific that Evans and Thompson um, put in, the, in chapter 10 of their book. And they said, this can be handled in three sentences by your teacher. I understand that you are unhappy about the grade, but your request makes me uncomfortable. School policy does not permit changing a grade at a parent's request. However, I will pass your request along to the head of middle school. And sometimes our teachers need that coaching because they're paralyzed with fear when they're dealing with the bully parent. And so just acknowledging it, saying that it's a school policy and I will pass it along to the administrator and then you get involved. And in my experience, some of the things that I've done, um, I meet with the parent in person if possible is always best. Um, I name the behavior and then I say that there are two issues. One is the request and one is the way you're expressing it. And then I say, we are not going to do this and here's why. We're not changing the grade. We're not taking away the detention. We're not firing the coach. Um, and then you can only talk to me. Um, and so that's a start, okay? Um, and, and again, a lot of this, I, I want to acknowledge my bias. Um, as a head of school, during my first 21 years at my first school, I'd say the first 10 years, I just let people like this just run all over me. And then probably this, the 11 years after that, it got a lot better as far as I grew more of a backbone and was more effective in dealing with the bully parent. But here's the problem. In those first 10 years, when I was just hoping that it would get better and I was avoiding, I saw good families leave when we didn't effectively deal with a certain parent. I saw good teachers leave when we would not deal with the bully parent. And so I would give the 
clear expectations. I would say we love your child, but if you don't follow these expectations, we will ask your entire family to leave the school. And I have to give a lot of credit to my current head of school. She does an outstanding job with this. It's very rare when it gets to this point, but if it does, then you need to be the one as the head of school or, you know, you along with your board president to make sure that you're on the same page that this kind of behavior can't continue. And so some of the things that I've done, um, I've said that the bully parent can only communicate with me. I've banned a parent from physically being at the school. They can't come on school property. I've banned parents from attending sporting events. I've called the police. I've expelled a whole family from the school because of the behavior of the parent and they wouldn't change their behavior. I've not offered an enrollment contract to a family for the fall and let them finish out the year, but the parent could only communicate with me. And so, again, they they act like 12-year-olds, and the only thing that works, honestly, is to treat them like they're 12 years old. Clear expectations, clear consequences, and consistent follow-through. So I have, you know, I have strong feelings about this because of my experience, but Again, the intimidators, um, I think, of the three groups that we've described are the most problematic and the ones that we need to deal with most uh, swiftly and most clearly and most effectively. So let me give a final word just to kind of um, wrap this up before we do the big takeaways of today's episode. And a final word, I want to be very specific about the fear of the financial implication of the loss of tuition dollars. So I can hear what some of you are thinking. It's like, sure, that's all well and good to tell us to, you know, expel this family or to say that they can't come back, but that's tuition dollars walking out the door. And what if they have three kids in the school? Okay. First of all, I get it. Um, And it's a real issue and it's a much bigger deal the smaller your enrollment. I know that over the course of my career, I've had an enrollment anywhere from 225 up to over 500 kids. And when we were at 225, we were functioning from a position of weakness. And when I had over 500 kids, I was functioning from a position of strength. So I get that. And I also have more patience with the anxious and incompetent parent and the unresponsive parent than I do with the intimidators or the parent bully. And so it is actually cheaper in the long run, honestly, to expel the parent bully from the school if you've tried everything. You know, if you keep the parent bully, you lose good families. You lose good teachers. Do you want to lose good teachers right now? Um, How difficult is it to hire good teachers? And if your school gets a reputation that you put up with this kind of stuff, then it's going to be harder for you to get good teachers. Um, The mental health and stress level of your teachers, your mental health, your stress level, again, it is in the long run, it is not worth it to keep that bully parent. Um, Attending your school is a privilege and not a right. And I've said it before, if that parent can't fulfill the responsibilities, if they can fulfill the responsibilities, they keep the privilege. But if they can't, they lose the privilege. And I think you can tell I feel very strongly about this. So just again, I am more patient with the anxious and incompetent and the unresponsive and very, very, very impatient um, when it comes to the intimidators. Okay, so the big takeaways from today's episode, 
Again, the book is called Hopes and Fears, Working with Today's Independent School Parents, written by Dr. Robert Evans and Dr. Michael Thompson. They talk about 95% of your parents are basically fine or workable, and 5% are not, and they need to be dealt with in a different way than the 95%. Evans and Thompson name some reasons why they believe that people are in the 5%, which include mental health issues that are severe, childhood trauma, um, difficulty trusting authority figures, bad experience with a teacher in their childhood, extreme narcissism, extreme paranoia, um, wealth and entitlement, uh, locked in a nasty nasty custody battle, um, and just a person who believes that rules don't apply to them in life. Um, And then they've broken those five percenters into three categories, anxious and incompetent, the unresponsive and the intimidators. And each needs to be dealt with differently. But the common theme is that you as the leader need to get involved and you need to set limits with these parents. And as you know, I always like to give a call to action, but it's rare for me to give a call to action that involves spending money. And so your call to action is to buy the book. Now I want to, in the interest of full disclosure, this book is not cheap. Um, It's around a hundred dollars on Amazon, but you can find copies for around $50. I'm not saying that you should pay for this yourself. I actually believe that the school's budget that the school should per- your school should purchase this book if they're cap- if they're able, um, and it is something that you should could um, reread every single year. And um, there are some schools where then they do uh, will do a training with their teachers um, after purchasing the book. So uh, again, I'll link that in the show notes and. In that book, honestly, like I was talking about chapter five and chapter 10, but chapter nine is the basic toolkit for working with 90, the 95% of parents. And chapter 11 is a guide for school leaders on how to train their teachers in all of this. And honestly, just those two chapters are worth the money. So I'm not asking you to plunk down $100, but um, if the school has that in their budget to purchase this book, um, just check it out on Amazon and look through it and, and see what you think. And maybe that's something down the road for the future. But um, ultimately, that's the call to action. And it'll be in the show notes at the privateschoolleader.com slash episode 26. So let's wrap it up. I hope you got value from this episode. I strongly believe that it is possible to have a long and happy and fulfilling career as a private school leader. And my passion is to help you figure out exactly how to do that. And the Private School Leader Podcast exists to help you thrive and not just survive as you serve the students and teachers at your school. And another quick reminder that I have created a free guide for you called Five Strategies to Help You Work with Difficult Parents. I know that working with parents is part of the job, but some of them can be really difficult as we've been discussing today. And this guide will give you the tools that you need to build better relationships, have better meetings. And so go to the privateschoolleader.com slash parents to grab that guide. And thank you again for listening every week. Be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. I've already mentioned several times, but I'll mention it once more that the show notes for today's episode and links to that book, Hopes and Fears, theprivateschoolleader.com slash episode 26. A new episode of the Private School Leader podcast comes out every week on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Um, you can find me on Instagram at the private school leader or Twitter at the PS leader. And if you got value from this episode, I would just really appreciate it if you would share it with another leader at your school or perhaps an aspiring leader at your school. And I've been your host, Mark Minkus. I just want to say I appreciate you and the amazing work that you're doing at your school. Thank you so much for taking the time to join me here today. And I will see you next time on the Private School Leader Podcast. And until then, always remember to serve first, lead second, and make a difference.